winner gets Shark Tank. Plus, Carlos Boozer on the podcast talking his 2007 playoff run with the Jazz, recounting his career, and celebrating Booze last Friday against the Suns. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. Ryan Smith against Mark Cuban. I hope everybody, if you're coming down to a game, have your pitches ready. Make sure your KPIs are all on lock. I honestly have no idea what a KPI is. But I know it's something that you say in business or marketing. And so if you're doing a pitch via Shark Tank, might as well bring it up. But as far as the game on the floor, it's going to be fascinating. Jazz Mavericks, you know the deal. You watch these two. We only had two opportunities to see them both play at full strength. You throw out the first one, throw out the last one. That game out of All-Star break gave you everything that you needed. If you were a Jazz fan, watching that game, seeing Rudy and Luca battling it down the stretch, and frankly, if we're hyper-examining it now, and you put April's glasses on February, Jazz were able to execute down the stretch. They won that in closing time, in clutch time. Even though they've been an average clutch time team this season, they won that one at home because they played better than Dallas down the stretch. It was tied 102-102 with five minutes left. And the Jazz win it. And then the second game, Luka responds, wants Rudy out on him, takes him, and makes him. Dorian Finney-Smith has a good game against Donovan, and they are able to hold serve on home court. Those are two data points that you have. I'll go in-depth on this matchup where I think it lies on the next podcast because hopefully I'll have a player from the team on and also ESPN's Tim McMahon. This is the McMahon Bowl. Whoever wins, Tim will follow. But Dallas and Utah is going to be very competitive. And I was reading one person this morning, Good Morning Basketball. It's a good newsletter. But he's leaning towards Dallas wiping the Jazz off the floor. And I think you can definitively say that. He wrote the Jazz off because of Friday's game against the Suns. And while I'm not Mr. Moral Victory, I am saying that playing well against one of the best teams in all of basketball is helpful when it comes to a 4-5 matchup. I find it very tight, and you'll get a full in-depth preview on the next podcast here on RR. But in the open, I really wanted to attack how to remember the regular season. Because that that finishes up, and the Jazz finish with the fifth-best record in the Western Conference. And as much drama, as much noise, as pressurized as the situation was, this is finally the time, post-regular season, where everything will find meaning. I came in on the pod preseason talking about how seeding doesn't necessarily matter with this team. This is a prove-it-in-the-playoffs team. If you're looking at it from a national perspective, they may not need to check in on Utah during the regular season because they know. They've seen it. They saw the proof of concept last year where they needed to get the number one seed, to get legitimacy, to validate the offense that they created heading into the bubble. Remember, going all the way back to when this team was formed, that first year, 2019-2020, interrupted by COVID. 
they finally start playing great basketball right as the season shuts down. And then they have to re-engineer themselves as they come back to Orlando without Boyan Bogdanovich and find an offense that works. So they do that. They didn't have the horses to keep their lead and close out the Denver Nuggets. But what happens the next year? They run through the Western Conference. They take the number one seed. They show that they're an elite team during the regular season. And then the playoffs happen. And they show up injured. They show up compromised. Donovan doesn't play in game one against the Grizzlies. Then Conley gets injured and can't play in the second round. And then this year, when all the national talking heads have written off the Jazz in the regular season, they want to see it in the playoffs, they have a tumultuous one. It's different from the other two. It's probably closer to year one. But this, this might be season two of The Wire. Some people love it. They think it's the best one. But the postseason is going to be where you appreciate it or you don't, where they show it or they fall out. And I think back to those expectations in the preseason of how good this team could be and how much pressure was on them. And I think the only comparable is the Lakers. They had championship aspirations, and they're not even making the plan. And that's a sad situation for that franchise. Having to leak info on their head coach getting fired minutes after the game ends. Sidebar, Frank Vogel did not deserve the dismantling of his championship team. He'll be fine in the end because I'm sure he's going to get paid. But if I'm looking at that opening and I see how the Lakers are treating their head coach, I don't know if it's a better spot. Remember the defensive identity they had in the bubble? How about all those pieces are gone? Anyway, not a Lakers podcast. But those expectations cropped up, were held to the higher standard earlier in the year, when they weren't playing fantastic to the eye test, but they still had the number one offense. Just didn't feel right. And then January happens, and there's a 4-12 and skid. This is what the team would look like without Rudy. Without Donovan, it's unwatchable. And that just demonstrates how impactful COVID is on this season. All of the games that have been stacked up, having a postseason that stretched into July, the calendar being so thrown off, it finally catches up to Utah when it comes to that month. And they struggle, predictably. When you don't have your good players out there, yeah, it's going to hit you. But out of January, the discovery of Dan Wellhouse, who has suddenly become a major part of this rotation in this team. I'm sure he'll feature against Dallas as one of the perimeter defenders to go up against Luka. But February validated the resurgence, validated those guys coming back, playing to the level. March tested the patience. Six fourth quarter leads blown. But the most important part of the entire experience is that they're healthy heading into this April 2nd season. And Quinn's talked about this, how the team needs to be playing the best basketball that they can towards the end of the year. I don't think that they were world beaters, but playing the Suns tough, having a playoff caliber game against the Grizzlies that week as well, wasn't the full compliment. They didn't have jaw, but that was a high-intensity game. In Golden State before that, now that's a, a sample size of a one and two, so it doesn't bode well for the playoffs. However, the fact that they're healthy gives the game away. 
That was the most important part. Yes, they needed to play well, needed to play to the playoff caliber, but for a team that had been robbed so many times, actually being healthy is a huge win. Every starter is available. The original group. And that original group, 29-13 and 13 when they're all there. A 119 offensive rating, a 111 defensive rating. Eight-point differential that's comparable to Phoenix, starting lineup with Golden State, comparable to starting lineup with Milwaukee. It's right up there. And as the other postseasons and playoff runs have been robbed by not having everybody available, this year might have the benefit of them all being okay. Will they be with the Milwaukee's, Golden State's, Phoenix's? That's what this second season's all about. For authentic Utah Jazz player gear, including jerseys, shorts, warm-ups, and more, visit fanax.com slash jazzgameused. That's fanax.com slash jazzgameused. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Carlos Boozer joined on Friday. I was able to catch up with him. He told some stories. And if you want to hear me waxing more poetic about booze, check out the note. I did it. Spoke to Ty Corbin. They kind of overlap when it comes to the things that they talked about. But realize that a guy like Carlos Boozer, he maximized everything for himself in a jazz uniform. He came in. They were winning 20 games. He leaves. He delivered a Western Conference Finals run. His best basketball as a pro. Made All-NBA. Made the All-Star team. And he was the first American post-Stockton Malone star. AK was probably handed the franchise when they gave him that big contract. But Booz considered that this is a guy that in 2008 was playing so spectacularly, won a gold medal. He had an opportunity to meet President Obama as a candidate during that time. That's how good he was. That's how in the national consciousness he was. He's still in rap lyrics now. That's how relevant Carlos was. As far as a player for the Jazz, as time continues to move on, Booz should be recognized as a player who laid a good foundation and did something that I can't say he expected out of him. Going to a Western Conference Finals, taking care of the We Believe Warriors. No, he maxed out on how high he could go with the Jazz. And it was cool to see him honored and enjoy it. Hear from D. Will, Ronnie Brewer, C.J. Miles. Check out the video on Utah Jazz Twitter. But I enjoyed hearing from him. I hope you enjoy this catch-up because I wanted to hear about those playoff runs. He was elite at that time. Game 7 against the Rockets, legendary. So check it out. Carlos Boozer on Round Ball Roundup. I was on Jay off camera. We had so many good years here. We had a, like a family environment. Thanks to Larry Miller, Larry Miller and Jerry Sloan and just, I played with a lot of great players, man. You know, from Darren Williams, Amemo Kerr, to AK-47, to a young Millsap, a young Ronnie Brewer. We just had a really good mix of guys that just loved playing, and I got a chance to play with some studs, so happy to be here. What was that transformation? Because you came in, you yeah. guys are winning 20 games. Yeah. And then you have a run to the Western Conference Finals. You're yeah. winning 50 games consistently. Yeah. What was that transformation that you guys were able to go through? Uh, it was awesome. I mean, honestly, you know, the year that I came in, 
the year before I came in, I should say, Andre Kalinko became an all-star. Mm-hmm. Swiss Army knife, could score, could rebound it, could assist it, could defend it. Great shot blocker, could do a little bit of everything. And then I want to say that same summer, me and Memo Kerr came in together. So it wasn't just me. We got, you know, a, a, a knockdown center three-point shooter, which not very many teams had a guy like Memo Kerr. And then a year later, we drafted Darren, right? And so, like, all the pieces to the puzzle kind of slowly got put together. You know, I give Coach Sloan a lot of credit for that. And then his coaching style, you know, his offense, his defense, you know, Phil Johnson, Ty Corbin, the rest of that crew did a great job with us and putting us in positions to be successful. And, um, you know, we wanted to get a championship. Obviously, we fell a little bit short, but uh, it just seems like they added a great piece for our team every year. I spoke to Ty Corbin ahead of this just to, you know, get a little flavor on on what type of player you were. And he brought up. Your left hand, your left hand as you were going to the rim yeah. was elite. What got that touch for you? Where'd you learn that? How'd that all come together? Yeah, I would say early on with my dad. I mean, my mm-hmm. dad put the ball in my hand and, you know, he wanted me to be ambidextrous, so to speak, and be able to go both ways. He didn't want to be one, me to be one dimensional. So early on, he had me doing drills where I would, whatever I did with my right, I'd do with my left. If I ate with my right, like for lunch, I'd eat with my left for dinner kind of thing. And that where I started that. And then when I got to the league, I just felt like, you know, guys had a hard time blocking shots when a guy put the ball in his left hand. I got to watch Lamar Odom, who was a great player in my era, got a couple of rings with the Lakers, and people had a hard time blocking his shot at the rim. So I'm like, listen, I could do that too. So I just started putting the ball in my left hand, and it just, it just became very fluid for me. Well, in the famous story of you working with your dad, yeah, your shot, yeah, how how you developed that, and it yeah. was Ty described me pretty unblockable. Yeah, right? it, it was, for me, I was, I was kind of an undersized power forward, yeah. I would say. The guys I'm going against, like Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki and Rasheed Wallace, guys are all seven feet or, or more, right? So my rookie year, I'm getting my shot blocked every all over the place. And I'm like, this is not gonna, this ain't gonna work. So I kind of got in the lab, worked out with my dad. I worked out with some other guys. I was fortunate to play with Big Z in Cleveland and he was a good friend of mine. So kind of worked on changing my release point from here to up here where I can get it off. Cause I had a pretty soft touch. I can get it off before they would block my shot. And, you know, just honestly, for all you young listeners out there, I just put the time in. You know, there's the magic really is in the work. If you work at it over and over and over again, you'll get success. The work pays off once you guys make it to the playoffs. Yeah. Your first time, your first experience yeah. in the playoffs, yeah. 2007. I want to zero in on Game Seven because that yeah. series against the Rockets in that first round. Yeah. People still talk about it. I mean, yeah. it was so intense. Yeah. Neither team could win on the other home floor. Yeah. Take me into that game seven. You scored 35 points, mm. 18 in the second half, mind you, in winning time in that fourth quarter. I watched it. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. You guys come in with the lead. Yeah. You lose it. Mm. You go on like a 5-0 run yourself. AK hits a shot. You get back at it. Take me into that game. What happened there? Yeah, man, what a great series, man. I mean, you know, we go into that series. I think we're the four-five matchup. So, you know, in the in the hierarchy of the, of the playoff rankings, the four-five matchup is usually the most even matchup, I would say. And so they got Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, two studs and uh, future Hall of Famers. And we got Darren Williams and myself and AK-47 and my crew and Melvin Kerr. And you know, to your point, we couldn't win on their court earlier in the series, and they couldn't win here in Utah in, in the series. And we get to Game Seven. All the chips are on the table, and we had nothing to lose. At the end of the day, this is our first playoff run together. You know, Coach Sloan gave us a great talk at, 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 at the beginning of the game, saying just lay it on the line. Whatever happens, happens. Just give it everything you got. And so I took his words to heart, and I'm like, I'm just going to go hoop, man. I'm not going to overthink it. 
I'm just going to be in the moment. And so uh, I just told D. Will, I said, D. Will, come to me early and often, bro. Like, I got, I, I'm, I'm going to get it going. And I just got it going. It just Some games you just happen to lock into a moment. I got hot early, had a lot of points in the first quarter. The second half, we're going back and forth. T-Mac's coming down, making a play. Very hard to guard. T-Mac was one of the most hard-to-guard guys that we ever had. Yao Ming was running up and down. Memo was chasing him. We were all were trying to block his shot because he's 7'6". And coming down the stretch of that game, I just kind of honed in and locked in, and I was doing pick and roll with D. Will, and and he found me in great spots. I just really played off my teammates and tried to be aggressive offensively, and and we and we won. <laughs> well, the follow-up is even better because Ty brought this up uh, when I talked to him about the playoffs. Games against the We Believe Warriors. Yeah. You guys are in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Oakland back yep. then, and – AK gets dunked on by Baron Davis. Yep. And he said, you guys took that personally yep. and made sure the next game you guys would respond. Yep. You had 30 points that next game. Yep. How, how big was that moment for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, that's what I told you guys beforehand that we were like a family. So if you do something to one of us, it felt like it was being done to all of us, right? So when BD made that move uh, baseline, AK being the great shot blocker he is, he came over to try to knock the block the shot. And, he, you know, as a shot blocker, you win some and you lose some. BD happened to get him that time and AK lost that one. The next people don't even know this, but the next game, they had the poster of it on every single chair when we walk into the arena. And I was like, "No, nah, I'm not letting this slide." So I went crazy. And people people forget that team upset a number one seed, but we beat them in five games. We lost one game that series to them. So, you know, my my thing is we 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 took that to heart as a, as a group as a family. Thirty four and twelve. Is that what it was? You had. I didn't game, even know. Game four. <laughs> I didn't even know. And then you closed it out in five games. Yeah. We had a pretty good team, man. Guys, guys really stepped up. What does it take to make a Western Conference Finals? A lot, man. So I would say your team has to be truly aligned and in sync and on the same page. Uh, there has to be like an undying belief in one another to get the job done because during the course of the playoffs, you're going to go through an ad- ad- adversary, right? And the teams that uh, stay together can overcome some of that adversary. But if you don't stay together, it's easy to lose on your path. That's the first thing. Second thing is you gotta get a little lucky, right? You got hope you guys stay healthy. You know, health is a big deal come playoff time. So, you know, hopefully the guys are as healthy as, as possible. And then it comes down to, to defense, man. I know, I know it's not the sexiest thing to say, but if you can get stops when you need to get stops, you can advance. And you followed up that year, that 2007 run, with your All NBA year, yeah, where you were third team performer, yeah. What'd you do in the lab that year to go, I mean, take it to one place yeah. and then follow it and try to improve on it? Yeah, I just tried to get better, man. I had, you know, we all as a players, we all have strengths and weaknesses. I tried to keep my strengths sharp and I and tried to work on my weaknesses. You know, I got better defensively, became a better passer to my teammates. I really found the holes in, my, in the defense where I can get AK-47 a little bit easier shot because I started getting more attention. Darren started getting more attention. And we tried to find ways to get other guys the ball because we had great players around us. I mean, Memo was terrific. I think he was top five in three-point percentage the whole time we were in Utah. Again, AK would work that baseline, and we would try to find him. Ronnie Brewer would do the same thing. And then we got Kyle Korver, and he was yeah. he, he made it so much easier because we had so much space. Even if he didn't have the shot himself, they had to defend him because he, if they didn't, it would be a knockdown. So it just opened up the court for all of us. And so I just feel like we had the right pieces as we were moving forward. 
And as a player, you want to always improve. So I just try to work on my game a little bit. I was watching those clips. The spacing is so different from yeah. today's game. Oh, yeah. it, different. And, and you, you're sometimes receiving passes from the other side of the yeah. block and finishing yeah. <laughs> over, over Yao Ming of yeah. all people. Yeah. How do you see the game going now with the way that things are happening? Yeah, the, the game has changed dramatically. You know, I was telling the guys earlier in the, in the in the room, in the press room, that when I got in the league, everybody wanted to see how many dunks they got. You know, how many how many times did you get a dunk? Now, it's how many threes have you got? Mm -hmm. So, and and the cool thing about it also is, is you got big guys that are doing what guards can do, and you got guards doing what bigs used to do. That's why they call it positionless basketball. I think as I'm teaching my kids that are play basketball now, um, you got to be able to do a little bit of everything. So, the game has evolved. The players are more skilled. Um, the game is a little bit faster as well, so fun to watch. I miss the old days, but it is fun to watch. How are you going to remember yourself in a Jazz jersey? Man, I just had a blast here, man. I was honored to be a part of this organization, honored to play for a Hall of Fame coach and Jerry Sloan, and I get to learn from Carl Malone and Stockton and get to play with D-Will and AK-47 and you know the rest of my teammates. I got a chance to, to be a part of something special here. Got a chance to become a star here where a coach believed in me and I believed in him, so... Um, just honored to be a jazz man. Mr. Andwan, hold that. Two-time <laughs> All-Star, All-NBA performer, a gold medalist as well. Yep. Carlos Boozer on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Carlos, thanks so much. Appreciate it, man.